David Mullix, CEO of Bloomerhall Capital Partners, and you are tuned into Your Business Matters, a podcast brought to you by Exim Bank Jamaica and hosted by Henneka Watkins Porter. Your Business Matters brings thought leaders together on thought-provoking ideas every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on your favorite podcast app. You have questions and we are giving you answers. Waiting. Waiting on your receivables. Waiting to purchase raw material to fulfill your next order. Waiting to get paid for goods already sold. 60 days, 90 days, invoices way past due. But what if there was a solution to waiting? An insurance policy for trade credit. Protection against non-payment by buyers. What if your bank fully understood that not being paid on time for goods would have consequences for your tomorrow? What if you could be insured for up to 85% of your domestic and foreign receivables, so that if you don't get paid on time, your biggest priority, your business, will not have to wait? Trade credit insurance. Insurance worth having. Credit without waiting. Exim Bank. By helping businesses, we save lives and livelihood. Before we get into today's discussion, Alan Thomas, Manager, Business Origination and Development at Exim Bank, he's here to share about trade credit insurance. Welcome, Alan. Hi, thank you. When we talk about trade credit insurance, what are we talking about? Trade credit insurance is a product provided by the Exim Bank that gives an exporter or um, local trader who sells on credit the ability to protect his, his receivables. What do I mean by that? For example, you sell, you're selling biscuits and or sandals, and you sell it to a shop or a business, another business place down the road. All right. All right? And but you sold those goods on credit. You gave them time to pay you. You gave them 30 days, 60 days. So you have no, so somebody owes you money, but that person could in 30 days or 60 days run into problem and not be able to pay you. So what the trade credit insurance does for, for the owner of that trade credit insurance or the owner of that policy, it gives that the owner the, the protection if the person default on the payment. So the payment is not made, you're able after 90 days to make a claim against the policy and be paid up to 80% of the value of that, of the amount that you sold to, the, to, to your customer. And is there a minimum and max or maximum that is covered? And what are the premium rates that we're talking about and how are they determined? There is um, the maximum and minimum. Let us discuss that. Oh, it is determined. All right. When you identify a person that you want to, that you're, that you're asking us to insure your receivables with, we would now do what we call a, a credit check on that person. When the credit check is done, a recommendation will come back about the amount of credit that the organization or the over the, the the reinsurers would be willing to, in, to insure, meaning that they may decide that 
they will not insure more than ten thousand US dollars worth of goods. They might they may decide that they are not doing more than a hundred thousand US dollars worth of goods, and then that becomes the, the limit, the, the upper limit of the amount you insure. So anything you declare to the bank in excess of that would not be covered. But any amount that you sell to that customer within that hundred thousand that was approved would be fully protected. And in the event that the buyer default on that on that payment that is due to you, you would be able to make a claim to Exim Bank and we will investigate and pay you. Okay. And and to answer the question now, how are those premium rates uh, determined? Oh, the premium, the premium rate is fairly attractive in that it is six cents out of every hundred dollars. So if you so it ends up the, the if you should use it as a percentage, it's 0.6%. Okay. 0.6%. Of the face value of the amount that you are selling. So if you're selling um, let us say ten thousand dollars worth of goods to uh, let us say a thousand dollars worth of goods to a party, then the coverage on that will basically be a, be sixty dollars for a thousand dollars worth of coverage. So every thousand US dollars worth of goods you sell on credit, then it will cost you six uh, sixty cents to cover that. All right, so $60. Sounds attractive. So what kinds of businesses or types of goods or services are covered under this uh, regime? All goods would be covered in it is when it is and it is so it is can be bought for over for exporters and for the local market. But in most instances, it is the exporter who is usually buying because they are in most cases they are less familiar with the persons that they are selling, they are selling the goods to. But sometimes even the pandemic that came up recently, let us say you have you were doing business with a customer that you have been doing business with for years, but because of this unforeseen circumstance, this, this customer could have actually, business could have folded and then you would not be paid. But you, it's not no fault of the customer, you know, it's no intention of the customer why he is he's not able to, to pay it. Unforeseen circumstances has developed and therefore he's unable to pay. But if your goods were insured when you sold it to this customer, then you would be able to make a claim on the bank. And if it was, you sold $10,000 worth of goods to him, $10,000 US worth of goods, then you would make a claim for, the, for 80, up to $80,000 would be paid. $8,000 would be paid under the policy. Mm-hmm. And what kind of information do you need to approve a business owner for trade credit insurance at Exim? Typical uh, documents that you would send in when you're opening a bank account, uh, like it's your company's documents. Your So those are the, the documents. Uh, incorporating documents, a list of your, who are your, your shareholders and things like that. We would be, you would be required to submit to the bank. All right. We will do a proposal for you, and after that proposal is done, then we'll get an approval, and the policy, to take out the policy, will cost you about $12,500. But what it gives you is the protection, $12,500, I should say, uh, Jamaican dollars. But you could use that policy now to establish credit limits for all of your overseas exports. And that may give you protections for hundreds of thousands of U.S. dollars or tens of thousands of U.S. dollars would be far 
more than the cost of the policy. Mm-hmm. And finally, where can persons go to learn more about uh, the trade credit insurance that Exim Bank offers to business owners? Our website will provide you information about the, the product and you are able to make contact with our business. If you go on our website, you'll be able to make uh, ask questions on the website and some an officer will contact you to provide you with the information about the policy and make the arrangement for you to get the policy, to, to underwrite the policy for you. Eximbankja.com. That's it. <laughs> All right. So to, to learn more about trade credit insurance from the Exim Bank, we go to eximbankja.com. Thank That's you. correct. Thank you so much, Alan. Alan Thomas is the Manager of Business Origination and Development at Exim Bank Jamaica. I appreciate you sharing time with me today to share about trade credit insurance. Thank you so much. Welcome to Exim Bank's Your Business Matters. I am your host, Henneke Watkins-Porter. On this show, we are bringing thought leaders together with thought-provoking ideas and methods on business matters to help grow your business. Health insurance is one of the many benefits companies offer to their employees as part of their compensation packages. Healthcare is free and is a right to all Jamaicans regardless of financial status, stated Prime Minister of Jamaica, Andrew Holness. But do all Jamaicans really have access to a proper health care in a timely manner? Contract employees have a lot to consider when applying for and accepting posts. Health insurance coverage is definitely one of those considerations. Employers are bound by law to offer incentives to part-time employees, some of which include sick leave, short-term disability, and health insurance premiums. But not every employee qualifies for same. Many contract employees opt to be added as a beneficiary to their partner's health insurance plan as this route grants some amount of coverage. Through premiums paid by the partners of contract employees, it is usually much less than the cost of... It is usually much It is usually much less than the cost the contractor would have to cover out of pocket. Today on Your Business Matters, we consider the question, should businesses be forced to provide healthcare benefits to part-time contracted employees? To present both sides of the argument are Odeth, Human Resources Officer, Jamaica Energy Partners, and Jason Dare, Managing Director, Link to Lenders Limited. So welcome, welcome, lady and gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, Henico. My pleasure to have you. And I'm looking forward to the, um, you know, the arguments that you're both going to be presenting. But you did, you did want, to, want to clarify that you're not representing your company, although you, are, you hold that position at Jamaica Energy Partners. Yes, that's yes. correct. So I'm the Chief Human Resources Officer for Jamaica Energy Partners. Today, I am representing Odeth and uh, some strong views, I believe, uh, coming out of your conversation and your um, information. So we'll do our best to, do, to defend pro and against all the benefits and to be as factual as possible. But it's a pleasure and it's always good to have a healthy debate. 
Absolutely. So um, given that you're already on the floor, uh, <laughs> figuratively speaking, let's hear your opening argument. Let's hear your position. Well, first of all, it is it is free. It is accessible. The question is how accessible and the waiting time is prohibitive. We also have a healthcare system that unfortunately is deemed third world because it's still in the very uh, early stages of development. One, we lack data. Two, we don't have the equipment readily available. And three, we don't want to have an option of GoFundMe. Broadly, uh, it's only 10% of 10 to 11% of the workforce, similar to our uh, pension, that actually have uh, private healthcare coverage coming out of the, um, the workforce experience. Two, we know they're the most vulnerable persons who do not have proper healthcare coverage. Three, it's unfortunately a number of surgeries, as you can tell, the cost is prohibitive. And so there is a GoFundMe aspect. And there's a business aspect if an employee, if they're temporary, depending on your um, kind of environment that you have, is that it's a huge cost to the employee. One of these employees, unfortunately, workers, contract workers fall ill. So broadly, those are one benefit to the employee, benefit to the company in terms of cost and risk management. And three, it takes some of the burden off our healthcare system that is, we know it's, it's, it has been weakened and further weakened by the global pandemic. Thank you. So thank you very much, Edith. So essentially you're saying that employers should be um, mandated or forced, maybe those are strong words, but to provide some form of a healthcare benefit to their employees. That is correct. And I believe it should be in the spirit of sharing as well. And right. it should also be time bound in terms of, uh, it, based on what the insurance companies offer, it's typically 12 months coverage. So it has to be based on um, some sort of timing. Some sort of timing. All right. So let's hear Jason's open argument, opening argument. Thank you, Henneke. I don't know if I can um, match Odith with her, um, you know, her ability to articulate her points just now because I have everything in my mind. But I am of the view personally, as a small business owner, um, you know, using my own capital and my family's capital in a business I, I don't think or I'm not of the view that persons or employers should be forced to provide health care um, for part-time employees, for example. But I do believe, though, and I don't want to call myself sitting on the fence, but, you know, persons working for your company um, who are hired under, uh, depending on the type of contract, whether it be um, contract for service or contract of service now, if it is in a case where I don't believe that business owners should be forced to provide health insurance, and I use and I highlight the word forced, I do believe though that if well, if the business can afford it, one and two, if a person is hired in terms of a con under a contract of service, even if the person is part time and even if the, the the contract is a year long or well, I'd say over six months, I do think the person should be entitled to get. Um, health insurance at that point in time um, because you I think if for example I have staff members here who come in and work let's say part-time hours per day per week um, in my opinion they are still um, exposed to potential hazards on on the job so in even in that case I think that they should but from the standpoint of being forced uh, no I wouldn't agree with that 
completely. All right. And why don't you agree that they should be mandated just as they are mandated to provide a salary, just as they are mandated to make sure that the environment that they're working in is safe? Why don't you believe that they should be mandated for something as basic as healthcare? Well, if, if you are, again, again, depending on the contract and how it is structured, um, as I'm saying is that if the person is, is contract of service and they are coming to your office, then yes. Now, from a standpoint, and as a consultant, I, I, do, I have my own consultancy and I work for different financial institutions as a business process reengineering consultant um, with the policies and procedures. Now, I also sit on the side of being hired as a contract for service. And even though I may have to go into certain banks and, and be a part of their whole um, structure, I, I don't necessarily view that I should be getting any kind of um, healthcare benefit because I would have negotiated and, and I don't want to say included it in my, in my fees or in my, um, my remuneration then with the bank, in other words. So I think that person should keep that in mind for themselves if they are going to be hired as a as an independent contractor, then let's use the word, and ask for that in terms of their overall package and then take care of it on their own. Hmm. But I, I think when I think too, if for the for the context of this conversation, we're talking about contracts. We want to talk about those workers who actually go in office. They may not be on a, on staff full time as you know in, in, in the sense of the term, but they come in, they they leave the office, they you know they they, they are back and unforcing on the office. They, they they are there, but they may not just be long term, you know, staffed employees, right? So we want to, in the context of this conversation, look at that because by virtue of that very example that you gave, uh, Jason, it would be unreasonable for anybody to think that you know somebody who's just contracting their services, um, as you do, should be entitled to healthcare benefits, which that would be unreasonable. All right, Odette. Based on what Jason has said thus far, what can you counter? Well, first of all, unfortunately, unless we're mandated, we tend not we tend not to participate, right? We have seen benefits coming out of the, the education tax, different taxes that we have had that has helped to promote or brought us forward. I think too, have we truly looked at the cost of providing health insurance at a course? I, I believe in sharing versus not providing this cost. Has every business done that? I mean, clearly it's something that we have looked at in our organization. And as I said, I'm not representing my company, but it's something that we do on an annual basis. The other thing that happens is, I believe the Affordable Care Act out of the US talks about a 30, hour, 30 hours per week in terms of qualification. So for me, there needs to be some standards, some criteria. So someone who comes in probably one day per week, a couple of hours, then that would not be financially, that would not be beneficial to the, to the business in terms of a risk management perspective. Well, what we have recognized, and this is purely from experience, is uh, we may have employees who may come in for a six month or a one year contract because of the nature of our business. And they have to provide certain services and where they may be, uh, not maybe, but they're definitely brought through the safety training processes and what to do is that unfortunately they're the ones who tend to have incidents and the incidents and accidents end up to be a cost to the company. And as you, and also J, um, Jason, as you do recognize, the onus is, is normally on the company to ensure that you have a safe workplace. And no matter what you do, unfortunately, 
you have people who do not adhere to the policies and the processes and recognize that even the, the most minute of injuries can be very costly. And when I say costly, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that's purely experiential. We don't have enough data to support that. And because I'm not representing my company, I won't be pulling that. Now we have a very, very strong safety record because we have um, very progressive programs, but I'm saying the very few incidents are costly. And uh, the other thing we recognize in terms of there's some employees who become some temporary um, persons who become um, full-time full -time workers. So just for, just for ease of reference, you know, Jason is very versed, which I love that, contract for services and contract of services. So I'm gonna term it just for the layman, uh, short-term short -term fixed contracts, right? So these are, these are not open-ended, but short-term fixed contracts, maybe six months to a year, a little bit more, is that over time, some of them become full-time employees because we tend to take temporary staff who have the potential to move up. Most businesses do that because it makes sense. And, and as that, it's, it's a way to attract them as well. So it's good for the business because you've cut back on your training time, you've cut back on your recruitment time, and as well as you already know what, you have an appreciation for what they already know. So for me, from a cost perspective, a risk management perspective, it's a huge plus for the business. Uh, once again, when you have only 10 to 11% of your employees having a an independent insurance coverage, it helps. It also saves time because if these temporary workers get sick and typically we're big, bringing them in to fill a need, then the report I've re received is that, boy, I was at the, not my, myself, my team per se, you know, I was at the hospital, I was at the clinic for the entire day. I was not able to be seen. Can the company help me? I need to get some, you know, private attention and I have this situation. So from a cost perspective, I'm really advocating that for companies, for the welfare of the uh, contract workers and peace of mind, I'm advocating that as well, knowing that there is help beyond uh, broken, so I say a healthcare system that's not at a place we, that it should be. And also from a general public health perspective, having spoken to other people, uh, let's just say, and I hate talking so much about COVID because I'm tired of it really, but it's real, it's still here, is in terms of the pandemic is that they're also fearful, some employees I spoke to, especially in the HR perspective, if they have you know flu-like symptoms and feel they're not really sick, they're turned up at work because one, they said they can't afford the medication, they think it's just the flu, and then they create havoc. Because guess what? You're sending a lot of people home, a lot of people to get tested for COVID because of that. So they fear that one, they can't afford health coverage. Two, unless they're really sick, they can't get through to be tested at the government testing centers. So for me, from a public health perspective, it's also extremely useful. We don't know what else is on the horizon. We also have uh, one of the things we're looking at millennials in the next five to 10 years will be the dominant um, numbers in the workforce, right? And they prefer, these studies are showing one of the critical things for them is to have health coverage. And that came out of a 2017 Harvard um, uh, study as well, where they wanted to say, they were looking at what's the most critical thing to, to employees, whether they're temporary or permanent. So that came out of that study. And health coverage, and of course, flexible work. So we're now looking at a hybridized workforce where we don't necessarily need uh, people covering some full-time jobs, but we do want to attract the greatest and the best talents, not just people who can perform a task. That's it from me, Henigo. All right. Thank you. And before I continue, I just want to apologize to you, our listeners, for the 
um, distortion in the sound that you may be hearing. Of course, you know, internet co uh, connectivity, we have no control over that. It happens from time to time. So we do apologize. Uh, we, we trust that you will continue to listen because the content is valuable. Yes, Odeth, um, I move on to asking, and I want to pose this question to Jason specifically. If it is a policy of a company, right, not to offer contracted workers health coverage, should those employees be compensated more monetarily? So, well, again, you see, because there's a gray area in my mind um, based on the discussion that we're having. And, and well, I want, I want you, you ladies and, and the listeners to forgive me because I, I, I am sitting on the, side, on the side of being a small business owner, right? And, you know, and I know it's not necessarily a discussion for now, but, you know, as a business owner, um, cash flow is also a major concern. So we have to take those things into consideration. And that is why I am not of the view of forcing it on anybody. And no, Henneke, I mean, based on your question, if I'm understanding, I don't think that person should necessarily get paid more either um, based on that. And again, for me, it is... It is all dependent on the role that the person is playing, as Odith made a very good point in terms of the number of hours that you're coming in to work. So those things also make a, make a difference, um, in my opinion. Um, and, I get, and again, I guess I'm speaking from, the, from my standpoint. In other words, if I was to take my hat off and speak from a, from a bigger um, organization standpoint, they may still have the same view as me, but I'm just still not of the view that persons should be, or companies should be forced to necessarily pay um, for persons that are part-time, um, especially if it's a situation where they may be working from home nowadays where things are more remote and online, that type of thing. Um, that, that, I mean, that's just my opinion on this. All right. Um, and a different question just came to mind, which is a topic that we're, we want to explore here on Your Business Matters. Should employees be paid um, less? Should there be a... a, a, a well, employers, should they pay uh, less to employees if they're working virtually? That You don't have to answer that question, but it's something for us to, to think about. Um, it, it, it's, definitely, it's definitely something that we're going to be contemplating here on this show because you brought that up. But maybe I should even ask you to answer because you brought up that point, right? So should, should employers do a pay cut no. if it is that? <laughs> None at because all. No, because why, why, why ask that? Because you made the point that, you know, when I asked the question about should they be compensated more monetarily, you said that because, you know, particularly know that they're working from home. So there seemed to be a connection or a mindset to say the fact that they're working from home, it therefore means that, you know, they don't necessarily have to get more. They can actually get less. No, 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 no. So that's not where I sit. In other words, not saying, not saying more don't mean less. In other words. Okay. I, okay. I'm saying that I don't because you're working from home, um, and you're not a part of that healthcare compensation that we should pay you more. So no, my answer to that is no. You shouldn't get okay. paid more. But from the standpoint of you working from home, no, I, I believe you're you're paying somebody for their skill set, for their efficiency, for their experience and their knowledge. So no, I I, I don't. Um, I'm not of the view that person should be paid less for working from home. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Thank you for clarifying that. All right. So I think at this time it is so fitting for us to invite our listener who has been listening intently and I'm sure has a question, a burning one perhaps, that he wants to pose to either of you. So let's make welcome Rohan Gordon. Rohan, just again, um, as, I've invited, as I invite you on, just share your full name again, just for the record, and then you share what you do and go right ahead with your question. 
Okay, so in, in essence, I said there is a point of alignment and agreement with um, Jason, and that is one, we want all employees to be safe and healthy. The second thing is, if there's going to be a mandate, then the government needs to indicate what can we do for the different interest groups, small businesses, medium and large. And for me, that there needs to be some consideration of a tax break, similar to how the pension is treated. So my thing is that if you're going to mandate, then there has to be something in it for everyone, because we don't want to put additional financial pressure at no time at all. Uh, two, I think it will also take a lot of pressure off the healthcare system. We don't have, and it's we don't have all the necessary infrastructure at this point in time to manage. Uh, for and I know there has been progress, but I believe between 2014 and 2018, we've been trying to improve in terms of um, our, our platform for information from a data perspective, and that is still unfortunately lagging. So my proposal is that let's put some of this in the hands of the private sector to help manage. However, there must be some incentive and some balance so that there is not uh, an economic disincentive to achieve this. All right, thanks for that clarification. Now, at this point, we are going to be inviting our listener, Rohan, to come and share his question. Uh, Rohan, welcome, welcome. Please do share your full name as well as what you do and then go right into your question. All right. So again, we're we're having a little technical glitch, and what is going to happen? Instead of Ron actually voicing his own question, he's sending that question to us digitally so that we can I can ask it, and then you know, um, our amazing guest here, Odette Reynolds, and Jason there will respond to the question. Sorry, right. Henneke, if I, if I might um, just jump in quickly as as I've been listening to Odette speak so eloquently on her points. Um, very extremely valid point. Um, I started to think about, so as I mentioned, I'm also a consultant and one of the, one of the teams that I work on focuses on OSHA, which is occupational health and uh, safety. And so to add to my point in terms of, um, on the debate, I think it, it, it is, it is, it, no, what should be mandatory or what is going to be forced on us as business owners is that we follow the policy and procedures of the of the OSH Act um, internationally, certainly for the safety of our staff members. So where I don't necessarily agree with necessarily forcing business owners, whether large or small, to, to pay for health care for part-time contract workers, um, one of the things I do believe that all staff members should adhere to and should be trained on um, is the, the, the policies and the procedures to protect themselves, um, even whether you're working at home or, or coming into office part-time. So that should be also, you know, implemented to help to prevent any kind of issues then, so to speak. All right. Thank you. Thank you for that, Jason. And the question that comes from Rohan, Rohan Gordon, and Rohan is a coach, a fitness coach. He's a trainer. He's actually my trainer. Um, and I laugh because <laughs> it's a journey. All right. Why um, don't companies increase their focus on health care so that it can keep health insurance premiums down? Right. So that's the question that Rohan has posed. Let's hear your responses to that. Let's talk, start with Jason. I mean, that's a very, very good point <laughs> by Rohan. I actually don't. I don't. Um... 
I don't have a, I don't have an argument with his question necessarily. Um, again, it, it comes back to, and I hate to say this, you know, to add back to what Odeth had mentioned earlier in terms of affordability and that type of thing. So, so the belief is that if it, if it can be afforded by the company, then, then yes, it should, should be provided. But again, it has to be, in my opinion, be on a case by case basis. And I would hope that as a country and as a nation, not just from public healthcare, but even private, that we will move in that direction eventually. Um, but it is not as easy as, as you know, we would like it to, to seem, especially. And I know even my staff members have had a discussion with me in the past about it. So again, for me, it's, it's really boiling down to economics as a, as a business owner to be able to, to contribute to what, you know, um, Ron's question was. Let's hear it now from Adeth. Good question again. No argument with that. Um, what I recognize, unfortunately, is just even using my own example, there is this thing called discipline and consistency. The older I get, the less discipline I get in terms of eating right and exercising. So I do want to say it's a partnership and uh, com few companies I've worked at, we've always um, advocated for healthy lifestyle and uh, and of course provided gyms membership and the uptake may be high for the first two weeks after that unfortunately my own experience it wanes so i haven't done a check in terms of number of companies that provide the service but i know the few that i've spoken to it's that whole thing about partnership it's not that the employees not that we don't know we just don't follow so um good emphasis in terms of prevention mm -hmm from developing right. other issues. Right. So I really believe a great question again, coming from Rohan Gordon of 123 Achieve. Uh, really great question. And thank you for your responses. Now we are about to wrap. And so what I'd love to hear from both of you, um, Odeth Reynolds and Jason there, if you would just go ahead and share with our community of business listeners, entrepreneurs, some you know takeaway that they can think about and contemplate even as they're putting together, uh, you know, their team, whether it's contract workers or their full-time staff members. Jason says ladies first. <laughs> and I was just saying, when the criteria is relevant, Jason, I started, you can, okay, well, I'll allow you to end. But first of all, I'd like to say that one, it is something that's very important to the workforce. And we've seen that um, over time in terms of it's the most vulnerable who suffer in terms of health care and health coverage, we just don't have from a Jamaican context, the infrastructure in place to really support um, persons who are more vulnerable, the waiting time, the uh, availability of equipment, the type of care we've heard doctors and nurses, the healthcare professionals um, being really hard pressed. I know the prime minister himself some years ago addressed that. I know it's also a recurring issue and I don't wanna keep talking, harping on the pandemic because we already know, but we know it has also caused delays in terms of um, selective surgeries, other things. Other thing to also note is that for companies, it is it is a huge benefit knowing that your employees, even if they're term, fixed term, short term contractors, at least 60 months, have somewhere else to go. You can save time. You save productivity is critical for us. It's a partnership. It has to be with criteria. The government has to put something in place to ensure that there's not a small, especially small businesses from an affordability perspective are not burdened. So I also would advocate some sort of a tax incentive, similar, similar 
um, to how we have done the, the pension. I think that should be that should be something that can be looked at. I think also additionally for criteria, you know, we can look at the Affordable Care Act for certain states, not all over the U.S. as you know, but if you work for a minimum of 30 hours, then there is some level of coverage. I do believe in shared responsibility because it is not just about the company, but it's about us as individuals. And I think the third thing is also from a public health perspective is that you do have people who unfortunately spread what I'd call, well, Jason has begun OSHA infectious diseases because they claim they can't afford not to go to work and they can't afford a waiting time to go and get seek medical help. And just reiterating, unfortunately, some issues are not, I dare say this, some issues, you don't, you don't know when health when health issues will occur. But accidents, as you said, are indeed preventable, but not all health issues. And I think it's takes some burden off the state as well in terms of providing providing coverage, because we know healthcare is one of those large, big ticket items like education. So I'm a big, personally a big advocate for that within. It has to be something that's also we collect further data on, but for anything under six months and anything under 30 hours per week, may not be beneficial to the organization based on some preliminary indications. Thank you very much. And thank you, Odeth. Jason, over to you. Well, from that standpoint, you know, obviously, as Odeth mentioned a while ago, um, you know, an organization is not a, it's, it's not a dead entity. It is a living entity. Um, it is made up of persons, humans, in other words. Um, and even though I, I did say what I said earlier, um, I do believe in the health and safety um, and concerns of your staff members. And I really don't care who you are um, in terms of what level you work at, at an organization. Um, you know, even though from the economic standpoint, we may not be able to afford to give it to everybody else. Um, in terms of I have the, uh, being a Jamaican Canadian, I also have the belief of, of not just equality, but the, the, you know, the way in which first world countries um, treat their staff members differently to how I see developing countries like ours, you know, where everything is, is, is in a box. For example, like today in my office, everybody's working from home because I, I'm a softy in my own way as a, as a business owner. So I do believe that even though you may not be able to afford certain things or to give everybody healthcare at this point in time, I do believe that as an employer, there are other things that you can do um, that can be of great benefit to staff members, for example, and you talk about well-being. I, I'm very much into um, health and fitness and wellness. And it's funny you had um, Ron on the call um, because that's something that I encourage my team to do um, in terms of, you know, spending more time with their family and that type of stuff. And hence why we allow them to work from home um, some days out of the week, for example, allow flexibility and that type of stuff. And because of the beauty of technology, I think that we should, in Jamaica especially, you know, embrace technology more because some of the times, you know, I can be away, my staff members can be away. Actually, my operations manager, who I've known for most of my life, she's actually between England and Jamaica. And while she's in England, she's working at the same time. So in other words, those are some of the other things that we think we, I think we can bring to the table to ensure that we are really taking care of our people. And I find that it is something that we miss in Jamaica a lot. You know, that kind of way, it is always all about the bottom line. So I don't want people to think that based on my discussion earlier, that it is solely about that. In other words, um, I believe in treating your staff well. 
um, in, in, in many other areas um, of their life then, so to speak. So if that's the one tip I'd go, go away with is, is having the right team uh, and treating the team well, you know, that, in terms of the flexibility. Because I find that nowadays, more than the money, you know, time and that type of thing is, is, is of more value to, to, to this generation, especially the, the younger generation. Thank All you. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Well said. No. Um, what I love to hear, well, again, apologize to our listeners for, you know, the, the areas that have been patchy. So sorry about that. We have no control over the internet connectivity issues that we've been having. So thank you for your patience in sticking around. So we've had, of course, Odeth Reynolds, Chief Human Resources Officer at Jamaica Energy Partners and Jason Dare, Managing Director, Link to lenders limited no i'd love to hear um just a little bit of uh what your company does quickly and how our listeners may uh, touch base with you sure um but no this is the part i'm excited about so you, <laughs> you should have made me do this first because this is when i'll keep talking so generally speaking just to introduce the, the business to you guys so link to lenders is actually a, a fairly new startup a financial technology company um, and it's, it's, you know, we've really created a new uh, and innovative platform, which basically enables Jamaicans wherever in the world we are to be able to apply for um, loans, primarily from as small as a payday loan, right up to a mortgage um, with using one online application, but going to multiple lenders. So I will, I, if you don't mind me calling a few names. So, for example, we partner with companies like COK, First Heritage, a number of the commercial banks. Um, so what it enables persons to do is to be able to do one online application and then have multiple lenders see the application at one time to be able to bid um, on your application, which basically in, in turn really is, is of greatest benefit to, the, to us as consumers, you know, that kind of way. So that is at the core of what we do. Um, beyond that, we've built out and we continue to build out a, a large ecosystem for support to different industries. So for example, like we right now we have 66 realtors who are contracted uh, for service as referral agents to, to our company. Uh, I know they do not get health insurance, but uh, <laughs> um, for example, we also support them in terms of on the market side, uh, just as an example, to get their clients pre-qualified for loans and to get their clients the best rates and terms. We've brought a lot of additional services from that standpoint internally. So for example, you're no longer leaving um, to go and do a uh, evaluation or land surveying thing. Everything happens internally. Um, and, and we're doing the same for the car dealership industry. Um, All right, to, uh, Jason, there's so much to say. And I see the truth here. You're passionate about that. So what, what I'm going to ask you to do right now is to share how might early since get in touch with you so they can follow up to find out what more do you do? Sure. Well, the easiest way, uh, and as I said, you know, I'm constantly traveling and that type of thing is to get me by email. Uh, my work email address is jason, jason.dare, D-E-A-R, at link to lenders. And it's number two, so it's link, number two, L-E-N-D-E-R-S, J-A.com. Um, and I'm typically looking at my phone 24-7-365. Um, so <laughs> um, you can get me. That's the simplest way I will tell you to get me. Um, all right, That's and Odeth, um, okay, Odeth, he's taken all your time, so um, you have 10 seconds. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Odeth, forgive me. I'm not representing my company today, but I think I work for a great company. It's called Jamaican Energy Partners, owners of three um, independent power companies. 
And we also have the affiliate Evergo of Jamaica. Very, very proud of my company. Uh, we're main advocates for something that I'd love for you to um, explore, Henical, because the cost of electricity, I know Jason may think it's 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 prohibitive. So Evergo, as you know, it's uh, it's an e there are EV stations that we have throughout the island. So if you go online or you know they handle handles for um, IG, you will see that Evergo, right? So those are electric vehicles charging stations that we have throughout Jamaica. Also, uh, we're advocates in our process of transitioning from what we call conventional energy using um, heavy fuel oil. So our intention is to transition to more um, greener energy technology. My CEO, Mr. Wayne McKenzie, President and CEO, he's a big advocate for what we call energy justice. And it's a very, very important topic. It may be something you want to explore because I believe it will help all small business owners. So what does that mean in essence? Um, just short, broadly, it's making um, energy affordable and accessible to all and as many persons as possible. It's a theoretical concept, but it's 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 pretty much embedded within the um, the whole climate global climate change initiative and also the reduction of um, our, our footprint and additionally ensuring our energy security by utilizing energy sources that we have locally. So uh, we all know that energy prices, uh, HFO prices, gas prices are soaring right now. So unfortunately we can expect to see an increase in our electricity cost. So broadly, how can I be reached since I'm not representing my company? It's adeth.reynolds at gmail.com. Nevertheless, my company email is oreynolds at jamenergy.com. So wonderful company. Jason, I learned so much from you this morning. I'm going to have to go back and um, do some do some more research. But um, I'm still advocating for that. It, it, it does need to be, um, the government does need to push that model. And uh, I'm careful the word push these days because of the whole hesitancy with different aspects. But it, it, this is something that mandated that we can help because you're right. Wellness is a package. That's one thing we can agree on. We do want to have a healthy workforce and a well workforce. So from that perspective, even when we disagree on how we go about that, we can certainly agree on the prospect. That is a holistic approach and happy to hear who I think I'm motivated to get back and get moving again. So thank you, get back and moving again and getting the health aspects of my life forward. So I'd want all listeners to take that into perspective. Prevention is better than cure. Get healthy, stay healthy. And also because we don't plan on getting sick, I don't think anyone does also get health coverage where you can and when. Thank you. All right, thank you both. And I just wanna say quickly before I close out, I wanna say, um, thank you to Rohan Gordon of 123Achieve, and you can find him on Instagram, connect with him to get your workout, get your body in shape, because health is wealth, right? It's so fitting that we've had him on as we discuss healthcare this, um, for this episode of Your Business Matters. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Your Business Matters. Of course, it's a production of Exim Bank Jamaica in partnership with me, Henika Watkins-Porter of the Entrepreneurial You podcast. You can find me at henikawatkinsporter.com or on social media at henikawatkinsporter. And we really trust that this episode provided some guidance on how you treat with healthcare for those who are on your team. Remember, Join us next week for another insightful episode as we help you to move closer towards your business goals. To stay in touch or to learn more about Exim Bank, visit EximBankJA.com. 
In the meantime, please subscribe to our podcast via your favorite podcast app. Your business matters, bringing the matters to the table because your business matters. As you continue to mind your own business, I leave you with a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. As you continue to mind your own business, I leave you with a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Of all the forms of inequality, injustice in health is the most shocking and inhumane. Do take care.